This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Time for Lunch is a new podcast from HRN for curious young eaters, where we focus on the serious questions. Aren't chickens tiny dinosaurs? We get to know our favorite foods in unexpected ways. We just like cheered like you would cheer for your classmate when they're rounding second base in softball. And we just like, peach, 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 peach. Yay, thank you, peaches. Learn some new recipes and jokes. What does a boxer's mom put in his lunch? A knuckle sandwich. And load up on fun facts. Experts estimate that there are between one and 2,000 types of insects eaten around the world. So roll up your sleeves and dig in. Subscribe to Time for Lunch on your favorite podcast app so that you and your favorite young eater can catch up on the whole first season. New episodes of season two out each week. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes of Feast Your Ears can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I've been working on a new podcast here at Heritage Radio Network. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We've just started our second season, so you've got some catching up to do. I'd also like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make your gift. Today's theme, checking in. When we think about restaurants, it's often about what to eat tonight or later this week, or what new place opened or perhaps sadly what's closing. We don't often think about the work being done behind the scenes to get a food establishment off the ground. It takes a lot of long lead time work to get projects done. As things have ground to a halt the last few months, some projects are still marching ahead. At the same time, people are pivoting all over the place to make a new version of their restaurants and other food businesses. I called my friend Chris Jekyll last week to check in and see how he's doing. After closing his restaurants Alanda and Uma Tamakaria in New York a few years ago, he moved on to consulting on all sorts of projects, from small restaurants to larger new construction. He had a number of projects ongoing when New York and much of the world was put on hold in March. As a chef, he's also involved in two very interesting projects online. The first is 100 Pleats. It's a platform that allows home cooks to access the minds of great chefs. They offer a sliding scale from a 10-minute quick pantry consult to help figure out what you can do with that bottle of fish sauce and the tahini in your pantry, to a full 90-minute culinary experience. Use code LAUNCH25 for 25% off. Check them out at 100pleats.com. That's 100pleats.com. The second project online that Chris is working on is Recipes for Relief. It's a platform where you can access recipes from a huge array of chefs on a pay-what-you-can pricing model, where the money goes to the chefs to help keep them solvent. It's powered by Mies, who've developed a great platform for scaling ingredients in the professional and home kitchen. Learn more at relief.recipes. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much, Chris uh, Jekyll, for joining me today on Feast Your Ears. Can you uh, just, you know, when in the olden days, what I used to say on this show 
is I used to say, when you sit down next to someone on an airplane and you start chatting, what do you tell them about yourself and how do you say what you do? Um, now in coronavirus times, I guess that's not how it works anymore. We don't sit down next to people on airplanes anymore for the most part. Um, but uh, in the old days, when you met somebody, say six months ago, and they asked what you do, what, what was your answer? Uh, so, you know, I, I, I say chef consultant, right, is, is what I say. And I usually preface this with chef because it has been how I spent most of my life. Um, but, you know, it's, so that's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is, you know, I, I, I do a lot more um, creative from a non-cooking side of things these days, which is where the consultant side comes in. Hmm. Got it. And your company is called Kitchen Connect? It is called Kitchen Connect, yes. Um, so when when you say creative side, I mean, so you and I met when you were running, I think, two restaurants uh, at the time. You mm-hmm. had uh, mm-hmm. uh, Umet Tamakaria, right? And then you had, yes. um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of your Al- time. Al- yeah, Alonda. Alonda, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you lived that life for a long time where you were the chef, you were in the kitchen early, you were in the kitchen late, you were doing all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was... So you know, I, I spent my life in, in arguably the, the best kitchens in well, not not arguably the best kitchens in New York, but arguably some of the best kitchens in the world. And, and you know, that was that was what I knew and all I knew, to be perfectly frank. You know, come on, Madison Park to Tabla to Morimoto to like I was the opening chef for Yuri, um just prior to uh, opening Holanda. Um And then once you know, sort of you know, as restaurants seem to go frequently these days terrifyingly um you know it, it didn't sort of stick with the new york clientele so i, I do still have a management contract in dubai for Alanda. Hmm. um so that still is in existence so i'm very thankful for the fact that the brand is is still around and um you know i get some creative outlet from that i mean things are very different right now so we're going through some some turbulent times over there as well i'm hoping that it doesn't um go the way of the wind, you know, but it, it's getting a little bit challenging from all perspectives. So we'll sort of see um, where that, that sort of shakes out. Um, but once, once Alonda, you know, we sort of made the decision that Alonda was um, not viable. We, uh, I, I sort of just took a step back and, and, I, and I thought about what sort of skills I had and what skills I had developed being an owner and sort of how I could provide resources to people. I, I sort of just said to myself, what, what can I do? And, what, what am I unwilling to do, right? And that's what sort of led me to the consulting route. Um, I had said that, you know, I wouldn't work for another chef again. You know, that was something that I just didn't have the desire to do. Um, multiple reasons, but, you know, I'd sort of come pretty close to, you know, getting to that level on my own, right? right. So taking that step towards, you know, executing someone else's vision wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do from a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was physical, right? Part of that was my family was, you know, I was developing a family, which was new for me. Um, you know, I'd gotten married and we were talking about children. And so, you know, that doesn't, isn't the most conducive environment in the world for that. So I yeah, I, I have, I imagine yeah, listeners yeah. on to heritage radio have probably heard that story. <laughs> Uh, many, many, many times about how difficult it is to potentially keep up the, you know, the chef schedule and what it needs to be, especially in a city like New York, and also raise a family. Yeah, you know, it it it, it comes down to choices, right? And there's lots of people that do it, and lots of people that do it successfully, and lots of people that do it and don't do it successfully, right? <laughs> right. Um, 
uh, you know, fifty percent. I think is the stat in America as a whole, not just not just chefs. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, but for me, my parents were divorced when I was very young, and my father made the choice to leave New York. So I didn't really have this strong fatherly role model, and it's really important to me that I, you know, provide that for my family. Mm. Um, so that that had a great deal to do with the decision. Um, the secondary portion of it was, you know, how as I, as I had developed these skills from a business perspective, right? Like the business plan side of it and, and the financial the P&L reviews, the, the experience with the fire department and health department and creating LLCs and all these things were, I was involved in when I went through this and, and I sort of took a step back and I said, okay, you know, what, you know, do chefs have this skill set or are they even told they need to have this skill set? Not usually. I know that I had not been. Right. Um, well, that's changing now, but but it had been, you know, challenging. So that was that was a skill that I possessed that you know I felt that a lot of chefs did not possess, at least in, at my sort of level. Right. Um, and then I had this, you know, I, I'm pretty. My parents own an accounting firm, so I'm pretty numbers oriented as a whole, and also very organized systems, lists, organizational sheets. You know, I'm very, very focused on that. I, I, I think that that is, has a great deal to do with allowing chefs to step away from the kitchen, you know, on, on some, at some times and allowing them to be there for their families. And the ones that are successful at it tend to be that way. So I said, okay, I have these skills. I'm, I'm pretty creative. I'm certainly extremely organized. So let me see if I can translate this into people's businesses and what it is you know, traditionally turned out to be was mostly either first-time operators or groups that have a, a certain number and are looking to expand to a larger footprint, whether that be multiple locations or, you know, you know, uh, you know, grow into the space next door or whatever it may be is where I've sort of found my sweet spot historically. Um, and that sort of gives me an opportunity to be creative um, from a menu perspective. You know, I'm, I'm there to help you know, find a chef to, to be there. Quite often I'm there to, to train the first few weeks of the mm-hmm. opening. So I'm involved in the creative, you know, from that perspective, which is why I said it's a little less cooking. It's a lot more sort of, you know, theoretical development and concept. And then once we hire a chef, I quite often work with them, but it's, it's much more on their, you know, the day-to-day role, you know, to for execution. Right. I think it's extremely important that that chef has ownership or they're, you know, they're just never going to perform at the level that they want if they, with the care and, and, you know, um, time commitment that's required to open successfully. And, and without that ownership, I, I think it's just unrealistic. So quite often I, I take a back seat, um, you know, from the creative side, once we get into the kitchen and the nitty gritty of the cooking, right? Like the concept is there, sample menu is there, you know, the, that's, that's all sort of in place. And then we, um, start cooking and, and that sort of morphs into that chef's vision to some extent and obviously the ownership as we as we sort of cook through um, the menu etc right right so things were were going along uh, you know you were consulting on various projects and then of course the pandemic hit um, and you know New York which was your center of operations essentially shut down um, in early March were you, I assume that, you know, the way consulting works, I assume you were at different phases in a bunch of different projects. Have all of those projects essentially kind of been put on pause at this point? So I had an opening scheduled for April and mm-hmm. an opening scheduled for May. 
Wow. Um, the one scheduled for April, like gas is on, con ed approval, Department of Buildings is done. Like we were waiting for the furniture to get delivered. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it was in March, right? So we were full on up and ready, like about to ready to go. You know, obviously that we had been staying, frankly, optimistic up until, you know, the indefinite indoor dining announcement that made like two weeks ago. Yeah. And we were still sort of, you know, okay, so we pivoted and we were like choosing takeout bags and where we're putting logos on and what we're doing for takeout packaging. And we rebuilt the pro forma and said like, okay, at 50% capacity, we can figure out a way to at least, you know, provide an experience that we think isn't detrimental to the brand. Yep. Um, as well as, you know, break even, you know, from that perspective, at least not be, you know, you know, no one makes money in the first couple of months. Right. But, sure. but at least we, we could see a, you know, path to not losing money, um, you know, through that. And then once the announcement was made, that just came to a screeching halt. Yeah. Um, the other one was in an airport. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, I mean, that's, that I'm truly scared for them. You know, yeah. it's just, <clears throat> they, the Port Authority is requiring them to remain open. Um, despite the number of flights that are not going through the airports at this point. So, you know, I had, this is a long-term group that I've been with, and I, this would have been the fifth project I was working on with them. Um, and we, again, were concept was just about done. Construction was almost finished. Um, that was, again, going to be May, you know, when all this sort of stuff happened in March. So all that work we had done already was sort of, you know, potentially for naught. Right. Um, the nice thing about what they did was they were allowed to consolidate. Um, so they operate seven food and beverage, you know, operations in a, in a particular terminal in JFK, um, along with other places. But this one was my focus. And they were, you know, we and they were allowed to consolidate into one location. So we took like menus and the, the most popular items from each of the locations and, and thought about how to restructure it and move it into a singular space. Um, so we can provide, you know, a nice mix of menu items. Um, and about three or four weeks ago, they had a day where the sales were $20. Oof. Two zero. Yikes. <laughs> so, like, I, you know, that's, you know, I'm truly, I'm scared for everyone, you know, in the in the hospitality industry at this point. It's truly terrifying. Yeah. Um, there's certainly outliers out there, you know, people that are doing well they, they either lucky or chose spaces that are positioned for great outdoor spaces and right. they may have more seats outdoors than they do have indoors and you know we're talking three to five thousand restaurants from the twenty eight thousand we had in new york that 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 sort of street thing is really helping yeah. um yeah so so that was tough um i do have you know what had been my sort of secondary or or like you know nice to have business was this real estate consulting side of it which was you know helping developers think through space that they'll need for restaurants that they want in their building mm. um what concepts are sort of maybe not in the neighborhood that might make might fit in that neighborhood so then like okay so we decided that the neighborhood's missing Chinese, right? Now, you know, as an example. Yep. And okay, so that's a viable option. The neighborhood's missing a diner, right? Okay, that's a viable option, you know, whatever it may be, and putting that list together. Um, so that side of the business is the only portion of my business that I still have, and I'm super thankful for it. Sure. And it had really only been, 
you know, sort of subsidies, right? It was a nice to have. It was like, all right, you know, I got, I got four hours worth of calls a week and some diligence work. I could do it on off hours or after my son goes to sleep or it was really just a sort of padding um, that was, you know, nice to have and I enjoyed the work. You know, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the work, honestly, because it's creative in a very, very different way than what I'm used to. Hmm. Um, so that's the moment, what, what I'm doing. Um, and yeah. Right, because the developers are still looking so far out ahead. Yeah. And, and the yeah, way I mean, that the money works and the world works in large building construction in New York is that you might be talking about a building that right now is a hole in the ground and yes, planning exactly. planning for what might go into that space in four years when it's completed. <laughs> so the one that I'm continuously work, continuing to work on now was slotted for 2023, as an example. Right. right? So, you know, that's that's while it's moving slower than it was earlier, it's still moving and, and they have no, I mean, it's a half a billion dollar project. Like this is not, right. you know, like this is not something that's like, Oh, we had like a, like a, you know, a five story walk up with like, you know, a mom and pop shop in the bottom. This is a very, very well funded, yeah. very, very giant sort of operation that this is not slowing. I mean, it's slowing them down, but this is not stopping them. So, um, you know, and I had, this was the second type project that I had been working on. So, I wouldn't say that I was pivoting that way, but I was sort of positioning myself as I had conversations with some operators and, you know, organizations that represent, you know, real estate, real estate and or hospitality companies that this is sort of what I had been doing and enjoying. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I'm sort of positioning for moving forward is that I have, I have some track record now when I have these sample reports and, you know, I redact the information that is, private and, and are able to sort of show that I have done this work and, and you know I'm hoping that that continues to sort of stick around as a, as as things move forward. Yeah, I mean there's so much evidence I feel like out there to suggest that it is the people with the deep pockets who are more in the developer scale um, that are the ones who are going to make it through this. I mean, I you know the the other day I was having a conversation with someone and talking about the fact that you know the hospitality industry is you know may eventually come back to being what it was a year ago um, in our lifetimes, but that it is going to look very different for a long time. And that conversation sort of centered around like what's going to happen with all of the small operators now. And as you point out, some of those people have been either lucky in their location or have been able to pivot in their business model to, you know, kind of ride this out and not, you know, not completely go into debt or go bankrupt. Um but that really, I think what we're going to see is that in five or 10 years, the landscape will be completely different restaurants. You know, I think that not the, you know, it may be that you have the same chefs, you know, opening new concepts, but I feel like so many restaurants that are open now are going to disappear and those nothing's going to be there for, for some time. Yeah. I mean, it's a scary, scary proposition at this point. You know, I, I, happen, I happen to be in the city, you know, for the last couple two days and I went and visited some friends you know supporting you know etc and each of them I talked to was basically like you know the government's paying for my staff and that's the only reason why we're able to do this right now yeah. you know with the PPP program etc so there's just not enough delivery business you know to, to yeah. sustain these sustain these people it's just not there right and it never was there um so you know 20 percent of your income comes in the door when your dining room is full that's a nice to have with delivery right like yeah. Like an extra 50 covers yeah. when you've got a dining room, even the dining room is 50% full, that extra 50, you know, delivery sales are nice to have, right? And and it helps the business. 
But even if that's 70 nowadays, that's just not enough. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I, uh, you know, have fast casual, you know, for a, for a long time, like five and a half years, Uma, and, you know, we would be doing 200, 225 people a day, you know, at a, at a brick and mortar location on, on 7th Avenue near 14th Street. And that was like break even. Right? There's 225 orders a day. Right. It's not like, you know, so, so it's really tough to get to numbers that are sustainable from a delivery perspective and, and from a brick and mortar, right? Like, let's say you have, you're subleasing a space and you have a small environment or, you know, I, I would, I, I'm, I'm very skeptical of the ghost kitchen model. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it's, it's, you know, it's challenging to create a digital platform that provides an experience that draws people towards it without having people having experienced it in live format. Um, right. I mean, that may all be changing now, right? Like, like, so, you know, maybe in six months or a year, you know, these, these ghost kitchens are going to be the a way people operate, but you know, I'm still a believer that people want an interaction. Right. And maybe yeah. that's cause I'm a little bit older or, you know, I'm, super old but i'm like you know i'm, I'm not 22 either yeah. um but I'm, I'm still a believer that people crave interaction and i had a conversation had a conversation with someone yesterday about the fact that they think that the hosts are going to go away the servers may go away and it's going to be ipads or qr codes on tables and like you like like the panera sort of model right where yep. like you may order a kiosk and you sit at a table and the food's delivered to you and and I'm not disagreeing with the fact that some of that is going to happen, but the example I used was my son. He's 18 months old, right? And we've been sort of luckily and thankfully, you know, on the North Fork for the last few months. And, you know, my parents come out for the weekend and I can see James like Thursday, he's getting a little like bored of us. And it's a little bit more challenging to keep him entertained. And Friday it gets even a little more challenging. And we really just have to like keep him engaged. We can't just sort of, you know, let him play next to us or, you know, sort of whatever it may be. And then Friday night, my parents come, his grandparents, and he's back to Monday James, right? right? He's back to like excited and wants to run around. And that's the most primal example I can come up with, right? He doesn't know what an iPad is or, or Instagram or, right? right? But he's, <laughs> he, I mean, you know, he has no idea. Well, maybe he's seen an iPad and Instagram a little bit, but like, but he certainly isn't focused on it. Yeah. And, you know, this is, this is just the primal human need to interact with others. I, I just don't see that going away in its entirety. Um, I do see, I, I happen to agree that the host, hostess, you know, may be a situation that can go, right? Or, or you know, maybe there's some hybrid element of, you know, ordering and seating, right? But yeah. I, I have to tell you, you know, like, like I went to two restaurants yesterday. Both of them served me plastic utensils in to-go packaging at a table outside that sucks man. yeah totally like, i mean i i'm you know, like, i'm 100 like, percent with you i mean like i you know one of the struggles that i've had is like i want to you know i want to support the restaurants that i love and for me you know for i i just you know the experience of if the comparison or, or if the choice is to go to a restaurant and sit outside and eat on eat on throwaway plates with plastic, I would rather bring the food home and eat it on a real plate with a metal fork. Yeah. 
I don't disagree with you. You know, and it was something, and I totally understand why they're doing it. Listen, it, like that eliminates the need yeah. for a dishwasher. Of course. Right? That eliminates, like, like I totally understand. And it eliminates right? what and we, it, what could be a potential vector for, like, disease transmission that we still don't even know. Yeah, we you don't know. know. Like, I mean, it, it, it seems to be that it's not con- surface contact. It's not yes, of course. It's not necessarily the culprit here. Yep. But, but still, people are uncomfortable, and, you know, that you need to accommodate that. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Is there anything that you have come across that you've seen restaurants or uh you know bars or delivery services or anybody doing that you just thought was like wow that was such a good idea that managed to you know for someone to either just like shift their business model during all of this that was something that you know just like really pinged your interest um the 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 thing that i'm seeing that I, i think is the model for potentially removing some of the service is the qr codes i don't know if you've seen these but Hmm. You know where you take you take a picture of the QR code that's either paint, painted on the table or provided on the stanchion or et cetera, and the menu comes up right with pictures right. of the food and details of what that what's in it, listing the out potential allergies, et cetera, eliminating some of the need for verbal interaction with the um, with the the staff, which you know I think is super smart, um, and and I think it's of the times for sure, and yeah. I think that there will be some sort of hybridization of that into the model of the restaurant moving forward. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that's interactive. Number one, it's also sort of seems to be the way of the, the younger generations of the desire for some interaction, but less of it. And that <laughs> allows them to, I mean, this is just reality, right? It allows them to feel like they're interacting with something when they're really truthfully not, in right. my opinion. Right. But <laughs> sure. But, but, you know, still, it, it gives people the feeling of like, oh, I'm involved in this. Like, I'm immersed in this experience, right? You know, that it, it, it provides that, in, it potentially provides that sort of lack that we're, I'm seeing from the service side for obvious right. reasons. Right, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about two other projects that you have become involved in. Um, I don't know if you were involved in either of them, either or the starting of them before the pandemic. Um, but I want to talk about uh, 100 Pleats, uh, as well as your Recipes for Relief cookbook. Sure. Um, so, you know, I was not in development of either of these. I am, you know, through my network and through my friends, I um, was asked to participate in both of these. Cool. Um, so we'll start with 100 pleats. So 100 pleats is one of the ways that chefs are pivoting, um, including myself, to to sort of stay busy and 
you know, bringing some much needed dollars. Um, 100 Plates is, is pretty cool. So there's a couple of options that they provide that I, I think are, you know, the most fun. The one that I'm the most excited about um, is the 10 minute, you know, quick fire experience, I think is the term. Yeah, they're using, oh no, the 10 for 10 is this. The quick fire is the 30 minutes. Sorry. So the 10 for 10 is, um, you know, that you get a text message or I get a text message. Um, the chef gets a text message about an hour prior to, so it's pretty quick turnaround. Um, and we do a video, like, you know, cell phone zoom of someone's pantry. And we just do a quick, like, 10 minute, this is what I would do with what you have in your pantry to whip up a quick dinner. Oh, um, super cool. Which I think is a lot of fun, right? Yeah. It's a lot of fun for me. It's a lot of fun for cooks, right? Like, people can come in and they're like, oh, I would totally take that soy sauce and that, you know, champagne vinegar and the sugar and boil it down. And I would, you know, toss it over the, the, the chicken and let it marinate for 30 minutes and then put it on the grill on, on like, you know, medium to low. So it doesn't burn because of the sugar and let it sort of stick in, you know, whatever it may be, whatever I see in their pantry, you know, it's, it's tons of fun. Right. It, it, and it's super inexpensive. It's 10 bucks. Right. Like, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's, so it's, it's, it's a very short barrier to entry and it's a great way to interact with, chefs you know or or respect or chefs you don't and are, are curious about you know their cooking skills well and it sounds um, really fun from both sides because as the person at home you know you get into your normal things that you're used to cooking right or like maybe you bought that fish sauce because you needed it for recipe once but you don't really know what to do with it um and so it's cool because you get someone else's right expert opinion to say oh here's what you can do with this and it might open up a whole new world of possibilities for you at home and then from the chef side you know i mean i think you and i have actually talked about this in the past like you know not not everyone who can cook is a great teacher of cooking and so you know sometimes cooking classes are actually not fun for chefs i mean i've certainly known chefs that have gotten involved in cooking classes they don't really like teaching but this sounds like it's fun because you get to kind of be creative and it's not that long and it's short and you just be like yeah here's what i would make with that now go, you can go make it yourself you know thanks for chatting yeah yeah it's 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 it's, it's been enjoyable and and with that you know i think that it's 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 a cost savings thing for a lot of people too right like you have these things like, like people my wife is a great example right she's not a proficient cook and she, when she's cooking, she needs a recipe. And with that recipe, she goes shopping, right? And she like goes and buys the ingredients for it. And then, you know, so we, all of a sudden, you have these things around the house that I have to utilize <laughs> for me, right? <laughs> but but for other people at home, I mean, this is this times are tough, right? And if you have all of these things, that if you're that type of cook, and you have these things that you bought for a specific recipe, and you don't know what to do with them, and they're just sitting there, right? It's an opportunity to use these things and start to clear out your pantry without spending money. I mean, there's so much food that can be made from your freezer and yeah. from your pantry that is utterly delicious that, like, you've had sitting around for six months, right? There's so much delicious food to go through that if you can, if you have a deep understanding of what can be done with it. Absolutely. Um, that's super cool. Well, I definitely, you know, I will encourage people to explore that uh, and maybe I'll check it out too. I mean, you know, one of the things that's kind of fun, I feel like even just like being in the industry is like, I look at the faces here and I'm like, oh, it would be really fun to like see what Anita Lowe would do with the stuff in my pantry. Like I know why I have the stuff and I feel like I'm a pretty like accomplished cook, but like I might not think of it. So for like 10 bucks, it might be fun to chat and like, you know, get some ideas, right? Um, I feel like yeah, yeah. Been... I mean, listen. You, you, the, so the, the website is one hundred. The number pleats p 
P-L-E-A-T-S.com. Um, there's a lot of really talented chefs on there. Johnny Yormeta, Franklin Becker, um, uh, Elizabeth Faulkner, myself. I mean, there's some real talent on there. Um, so it, it's certainly worth taking a look at. And, and I think Anita, you mentioned Anita, I think she's on the list as well. Yep. Um, so there's really a lot of talent there and a lot of different perspectives on how to cook and food uh, through food and, and presentation. You know, I think this could be a lot of fun for people that are passionate about it. Yeah. And, the and you know, uh, the 100 pleats is a play on the fact that the standard sh- French chef's hat has 100 pleats, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was the, you know, the, the original toque yep. is had a hundred pleats in it. I, I also have to say, I think it's, I mean, I, I like the name and I think it's like a funny nod to that, but it also the fact that if you look at the chef's page on the site, nobody's wearing a toque. <laughs> nobody wears a toque. Nobody no, wears nobody wears a toque, toque anymore, anymore any, anyway, but I just, you know, so that's kind of a, <laughs> yeah, kind of, that's funny. I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. I, maybe, yeah. maybe I should talk to Frank. Well, Franklin Becker is the, <laughs> one of the founders of the program. Got yeah, it. I should talk to him about it. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I, have experience and had several years where I, I did wear a toque. Um, and it's something that I, as soon as I didn't have to, I, I stopped. And, 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 and it's not about the hat or even the look to be perfectly frank. I'm six foot three. Right. So oh, what yeah. I don't need is something that makes me seven foot three. <laughs> like, like, yeah, absolutely. And oh, especially in a kitchen, which can be cramped or if you're leaning over the, you know, you're leaning over the, the flat top yeah, and the yeah, broilers above like, or you, you, you got to dunk a, a two feet to get in the walk-in every time you go in. Like, like, I mean, really, like, like, oh, it must be nice to be so tall. Yeah, until you have to wear a, a foot-tall hat in a, in a hot kitchen. Like, so, anyway, um, let's chat about recipes for relief. So, recipe, you know, tell me about it. It's a, it is a digital cookbook, right? Yes. So, well, you know, this is quite interesting. So, I have been describing it as a digital cookbook. It is at the moment what it is is a platform for us. Um, and the groups of chefs to sell recipes. So you have an option to buy um, the unlimited plan, essentially, that, that allows you access to you know all of my recipes or someone else's recipes. Um, and with that, you have, you know, I am constantly, I shouldn't say constantly, but once a week, a new recipe goes up, which is pretty exciting. Um, and right now is my favorite time to cook. I just put up the grilled porgy with zucchini, tomatoes, and colatura, which is like the epitome of summer to me. Right? Yeah, like I was just looking at that tomatoes. recipe. It looks so good. I want to make it. <laughs> it's, it, it, dude, it's awesome. And it's so simple, but it's so required you seasonal ingredients. Like, it's not great unless the zucchini is, is, is you know, because it's such simple cooking. Yep. It's truly special. When you when you're when you're sourcing ingredients, you know you know only as good as the ingredients is, is the great way to describe this this particular dish. Um, but it's it's to me it's a lot of fun because it's it's for two fold. One, it keeps me focused and keeps me cooking. You know, at a time when it's hard and challenging to find you know enjoyment in life as a whole. Right, yeah. it's really tough right now. You know, it's, it's for a lot of people, and this keeps me you know, cooking and, 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 and revisiting some of my, my favorite classics and sort of creating some, you know, hopefully new classics, right? Yep. Um, so it keeps me engaged and keeps me enjoying it. But the other really cool thing about this platform is it converts all of your recipes for you. Hmm. So you, 
can go in and you can type in, like I write my recipes in grams, generally speaking, right? right. I, I, we can go down the rabbit hole as to why, but we don't yep. need to do that on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on this particular conversation. Um, but it's certainly more accurate in my eyes. But you can, t- you can, you can go in and hit cups and it auto converts for you. Got no it. matter what the ingredient is. Nice. Right. So it's really, it's, I mean, the, the amount of, time and effort that was spent on on cutting and weighing and measuring these ingredients i I, like can't even imagine how much how much time was spent to sort of develop this database yeah but there's 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 nothing else like it that's just user-friendly i've seen a lot of things available for commercial kitchens to do this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. nutrition nutrition counters and etc and none of them are user-friendly they're really challenging and and this one is just a point and click it's, it's really pretty cool it's, it's almost app oriented so you can just click on it and drag it around and hit the and hit in lbs and it converts the grams to pounds awesome. um instead of it, it's it's the most exciting thing i've seen you know from this perspective in a long time for a for a professional and a home cook so they that group uh so Josh Sharkey is the chef who, who originally created this, and him and I worked at Tabla together years ago. Um, and we are working on something new for the fall. I'm not quite ready to release that yet, but it's, it's going to be pretty exciting, and it's going to be um, good for chefs in particular. Um, I, it, it's a new way to look at selling your creativity, hmm. which has not been – it's sort of based on – you know, the music model is the best way to, for me to describe it and not sort of let too much out um, for chefs. It, it really is, it's pretty exciting to me. And it's something that, you know, c- could theoretically create long-term, well, well, minimal or not minimal, depending on how popular you get, but long-term income for chefs, mm. which is, you know, exploring that has been a lot of fun for me and him. Um, so that's, that's very exciting, and, and I'm really looking forward to that, and that will be fall. So with that, you know, Recipes for Relief is um, available till the end of the month. So if anyone um, is interested in, bu- in buying in, you should do so sooner than later. The other important thing is it's a pay what you will. Um, so, you know, you want to spend two bucks on a recipe? Great, spend two bucks on a recipe, right? You want to you wanna spend a hundred bucks on the digital cookbook because you know, there's 50 recipes in there and you know that I'm going to be putting a new one up every week. Also right. great. You want to spend 25 bucks on that digital cookbook? Cool. Right. Like I'd like to spend a hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, right. <laughs> sure. but, but like if you, you want to spend 25 bucks, like, cool. You know, it's, it's, it's really accessible to people. And, and that's, you know, you're hearing that theme with 100 pleats and it's price point too. I think that's yep. really important to make these things accessible to people. Um, so, you know, it, it's, both of these programs I'm really passionate about and, and I get and I stand behind, which, you know, can say or not say things, but I, I tend to not do things that I'm not at least somewhat supportive of yeah. from a, you know, from all perspectives, right? I'm not a flashy guy that's out there like, you know, hawking myself to like, <laughs> that's just not me, right? Like, I, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm, I'm good for the people that do because they probably make more money than me. And yeah. like, but, but I live, a, but I live a much more private life than that. Yep. So I, I don't, um, I don't generally do these sort of things unless I support them from a holistic standpoint, more so than just the financial. So, you know, I really think that they're, they're, they're great opportunities for people to learn about cooking and experience new techniques and new foods um, and help them through, you know, their hesitations um, in regards to their own personal cooking and their skill set. Well, and, and I think one of the, the other great things about it, I mean, you know, 
even though it's a pay what you will, it, it opens up you know, like the market is so large, right? Like if you are cooking just at Alanda, even when you were at your busiest, you know, your market was only as big as the number of people who happened to walk down 12th street. But yeah. on the internet, the market is enormous. And so someone who might never come to New York or might never have gotten to taste your food has the opportunity through connecting with you on there and using your recipe to have something that they might've eaten had they gone to your restaurant. And, and, you know, recipes for leaf allows you to direct message me. Oh, um, cool. So if you're going through the recipe and you have a question, there's a link on there. Once you're, once you're in the system to direct message me, if you have a question, which is even, which is only continuing to solidify that, like, you know, the uni bucatini is an example of one of those dishes that I was, became famous for, I guess, or whatever. I, re- and, I remember um, eating it at Alanda. It was delicious. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was delicious, right? But but it's not easy, right? And and, uh, yeah. and so you can sort of, oh, so home smoking, how do I do that? All right, so I, I, I'm very detailed in the methods on these things, on how to get them done and, and how to go through it. But, but home smoking is not the easiest thing in the world, right? So you have a question about it, um, you know, shoot me a note. And, and we can either get on the phone or we can converse via email or whatever it may be. And, and I'm happy to walk people through it. It's, it's, it's a very cool opportunity for, for cooks. Awesome. Well, Chris is, you know, as, as our conversation kind of wraps up, is there anything else on your horizon that you want to bring up? I mean, I, you know, I have to say, uh, you know, even if a lot of your other projects seem to be on hold, you're certainly keeping yourself busy. Uh, having well, an 18 month old is no small feat either. Uh, so, you know, you know, I, I, I'm a born and raised New Yorker, right? Like <laughs> I don't really have this sit on my hands in my blood. Yeah. Like it's just not, it's just not there. And, and I, I am not, so from that, you know, I have no idea if any of these things are going to have longevity or work or not, but what I'm not going to do is sit on my hands, you know? Right. And so the, the, and I, and I truly suggest that for anyone, for your sanity and for your, you know, emotional state and, and your financial life, you know, just try it, you know, no matter what it is, whatever your skill set is or whatever, you know, you, you know, we talked about this when I moved into consulting, right? Like whatever, I had no idea what I was going to do when we closed along the, I was like, yeah. oh, am I going to go raise money and be a chef? I was like, I don't know. I know how to do this. Like, I'm going to start a company. I'm like, let me find a friend that's, that can build me a website and let's give this a shot. Right. And six years later, I'm still doing it. Like I had no idea. Right. So, like just just like shooting something out in the air and putting it out in the world, you know, at a time like this, you just never know, and it will really be helpful for your emotional state. Um, and the other thing I will say is, I Harry, I'll I'll let you be one of the first people to know once I get there. But I'm brewing up, and this will be something that I'm developing on my own, not not for um, no others per se. Um, but I'm not a digital guy, so it won't be a you know, it'll be a website, et cetera, but it won't necessarily be interactive from this this perspective that we've been talking about with 100 meats and recipes for relief. But I'm looking to change the dinner party model. Hmm. Um, and, you know, because those are just not a thing right now, right? right? So I am working quite hard on, I'm, I'm doing two test runs, one for what used to be a, a sit-down charity dinner um, and another one for a product launch. We're talking about staying busy right now, right? <laughs> um so, so those are two things that I'm I'm actively develop, in development for. And, and, you know, once they sort of get launched and I have some experience with, you know, these, these guinea pig models, I'm intending on sort of pivoting 
um, a little bit towards that and allowing people the opportunity to, you know, cook together and eat together while not being together. Hmm. Um, nice. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, whether or not it's another one of those things, I'm going to take the shot in the dark. And if it sticks, great. If it doesn't stick, then, all right, you know, I'll try something new. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about that. And, and I'll, uh, I'll follow up. Um, with you and, and some others as I as I get a little bit closer to that final product. Cool. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking your time uh, this morning to, to chat with me. Yeah, thanks for thinking of me, Harry. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can follow Chris at CJakel, that's C-J-A-E-C-K-L-E, on Instagram. And you can find out more about his consulting work at kitchenconnect.co. Please check out Recipes for Relief online, relief.recipes, and you can use code LAUNCH25 for 25% off at 100pleats.com. That's the number 100, P-L-E-A-T-S, dot com. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. And please check out our new kids podcast, Time for Lunch, wherever you get your podcasts. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.